Our current series is uh, called Together, and following Jesus obviously involves a personal commitment. We need to come to God personally. We need to know Jesus personally. That's absolutely crucial. But it's very much a together thing and a community thing, and that's great. It's, we're, we're called to be together. John Wesley went so far as to say there's no such thing as a solo saint. We're not meant to fly solo in this life with God. We're meant to function together in community. We're in it together. We need each other. We need each other to grow and to thrive. We need each other's support. And I can think of times over the years where having Christian friends in fellowship has been an enormous support. And we've all got a part to play. We've all got a contribution to make. The team is weaker without you. You've got a part to play. So Join in, be together, be part of the community, be on the team. And without you, the whole team suffers. We've all got a part to play, to serve, to love God, to use the gifts that God's given us to support and bless each other. And our life is grounded in who God is. And God exists in the community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit eternally distinct persons in one divine being, united and harmonious. And we get our sense of community because God is community. It's not surprising then that we should be in community and working together with God. But as Sam said a while ago, being together isn't always easy. He spoke on um, when together gets toxic a couple of weeks ago, and that's a sad reality. And today it's, today, it's not an easy thing. It's together in pain. But it's important to look at this subject. It's not all together in, in glorious stuff and wonderful stuff and fun stuff. It's also being together in pain. But that's really, really important. And that's not an easy time to be together. It's not an easy time to be with someone when they're in pain. Maybe we want to shy away from people in pain. Do you feel like that sometimes? I think we probably all do. And maybe we're quite sensitive. We don't know what to say, and we don't want to get it wrong, so we, we don't go. And there's a real weakness in that. We should be together. Um, or maybe you just don't want the hassle. You know, you've got enough stuff going on in your lives, enough stuff going on. Uh, I don't want the hassle of someone else's pain. But I think, obviously, uh, what I'm saying this morning is to encourage us not to feel we're going to be dragged down by each other but to be prepared to be there for each other and be together in pain if you put the next slide up please ben while it's not an easy thing it's in my mind it's a really really precious thing it's a privilege and some of my most treasured memories in ministry have been being with people in times of difficulty and pain it's a really precious thing uh, Melissa's gone out now, uh, Sam's Melissa, and if you've been around a long time in this church, you may know her mum died probably about 12 years ago now, uh, in her 40s from leukemia, and at a very tough time, uh, Melissa's dad, PJ, stood strong throughout it, and Melissa and her two sisters had that experience in their late teens, a really difficult time, but it was a, a privilege to be part of that. She wasn't healed 
Uh, she went to be with the Lord at a relatively young age. But I'll never forget being uh, in the corridor at St. Christopher's Hospice and uh, hearing it was right near the time of the end. And then PJ calling the girls in and then just sitting with a few friends and praying outside the room, then hearing um, the moment she died, and then an hour later going in to see the family. Really hard time, but those times are really precious, and we shouldn't shy away from them. Hopefully God encourages us not to. I was thinking also of Dominic Beer, uh, who five and a half years ago he went to be with the Lord uh, in his 50s, And he had cancer for over 20 years um, and managed it for a long time and then went quite quickly just in the last few months. And again, very sad time, but precious as well. I was invited to go in. I see it as a real privilege that he's had the last few days in St. Thomas's Hospital and went in to see him. And actually, I wrote down his last words to me, and I've, I've kept them. And his last words were, I feel quite calm. I feel I'm going to the right place. Thank you. Really lovely man, but hard, but real privilege to be together with people in pain and in difficulty. There's many other stories. I'm just thinking of uh, a woman that used to live around here, and uh, her and her husband had two children, and then he went away from God, and then he decided to go away from her, And uh, I remember being around there as this was the situation was blowing up and he was just coming to the conclusion that he was going to leave home. And I remember kind of being there and awkward, very awkward and being there in that difficult situation. But finding the grace of God there and finding it precious to stand together with a brother or a sister in a time of stress and pain. Our story today that Sam's chosen is about Job. Some of you probably know something of the story of Job. So let's read the few verses that, uh, that Sam put in our uh, schedule for today. Let's read them together as uh, a few verses from Job chapter 2. And some of you know the story. It says at the beginning of the story, Job 1, in the land of Uz, there was a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys. And he had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. So a good and godly man and prospering in life. And then Satan goes along to the courts of God and says, Job only loves you because you've made him healthy and wealthy and given him all this stuff and you protect him. That's the only reason he loves you. And Satan gets permission to go out and take some of those things away. And it goes horribly wrong in Job's life, one disaster after another in quick succession. And sometimes it's like that in life, isn't it? It's not just... One thing goes wrong, you get a long gap in another thing. Sometimes things come in quick succession. Satan attacks, he loses his possessions, he loses his wealth, he loses his livelihood, and he loses his children. So it's a huge, huge blow. But Job's reaction, uh, we're not going to concentrate on him, we're going to think more about how we can be with people together in pain. But Job's reaction 
is a fantastic witness to us. He turned to God and continued to honor and worship God. He didn't blame God and turn away from God. And it says, Job 1, verse 20 onwards, at this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And we've sung that today. Thank you, Dion. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. But then it gets worse. His health gets attacked, so it gets even worse. And Job 2, verse 7, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. And then his wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. Thank you, darling. (laughs) I'm not sure we're meant to judge her. Think of what she's gone through. She's just lost all her children. So people deal with grief and pain in different ways. But it wasn't helpful to Job. And so the situation gets deeper. And then we read this part here. His three thens turn up. And I want to think a little bit more about the depth of pain. If you put the next slide up, please. The depth of Job's pain. His initial reactions were amazingly good. He stays loyal to God. His suffering then intensifies. And if you read the story, his friends start attacking and accusing him after a while. So that's not so good. And I think the emotional pain and the psychological pain intensifies And the spiritual pain intensifies. And in in Jesus' suffering, when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was that spiritual pain and suffering that he entered into on behalf of mankind. I don't think it's the real God that was a disappointment to Job, but the kind of image of God that his friends were portraying from their theology. There's God who's judging you. He's brought this on you because you're a sinner. That kind of image of God, Job can't handle and rightly so and in the midst of it God's silent and sometimes you're suffering you're hurting you're in pain you want God just to show up straight away but you don't always feel him there at the start God seems silent and then in the subsequent chapters Job gives voice to the pain that he's feeling chapter three I'll read out four verses from chapter three after this Job opened his mouth And cursed the day of his birth. He said, may the day of my birth perish. And the night that said, a boy is conceived. Why did I not die at birth? Come forth from the womb and expire. And then verse 20. Why is light given to those who suffer? And life to the bitter of soul. Real cry out in pain. People feel that. They can feel that, can't they? Why is light given to those who suffer? And life to the bitter of soul. And finally in Job 10. I loathe my very life. Therefore I'll give free rein to my complaint. And speak out in the bitterness of my soul. I don't know if you felt that way. I think maybe a lot of us have felt. It would be easier if I was dead. The pressure I'm under. The stress I feel. 
but hopefully we'll be encouraged this morning to, in the midst of those situations, to find God and to find good support and help from each other. And if you hear of someone in pain like that, maybe you're in the middle of pain yourself and it would be too much for you to go and, and comfort them. But don't feel it's, it's too much hassle. I don't want their problems. I want to avoid them. Let's find some strength and grace in God so we can be there for people in the right way. And we're saying today, let's be together in pain. Let's not bottle out. Let's not shy away. But let's ask for God's spirit and God's grace to be there so we can be helpful in the right kind of godly way. I want to reflect very briefly on the names of God. And uh, if you put the next slide up, please. Thank you. And there are a number of names given to God that are his attributes. Uh, sometimes they're called the compound names of God in the Old Testament. I haven't got them all here. And you probably heard them with a Jehovah tag, Jehovah Jireh, or what that might ring a bell. Jehovah's not the best representation of uh, the divine name. Yahweh is much better. And I thought of a few names of God. This isn't a complete list. What's Yahweh Ra? Yahweh Ra. The Lord is my shepherd. Yahweh Rapha. The Lord is my healer. Yahweh Tzidkenu. The Lord our righteousness. Yahweh Shalom. The Lord is our peace. Yahweh Jireh. The Lord will provide my provider. And Yahweh Shama. Nope, it's not Banner, that's Nissi. Yahweh Shama. The reason I put it up is I thought the other ones sound great, don't they? So, healer, my righteousness, my peace, my provider. What's this Shama one? And it's the Lord is there. Kind of, okay, he's there. So what? But that's really really powerful and wonderful. The Lord is there. The Lord is with you. God is with you. God is with us. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. The Lord is there. It's a wonderful thing and it's relevant for what we're looking at today. It's one of the names of God and I think it's really fantastic. His footprints are in the sand. Even if you can't hear him speak at the moment, God is there with you, standing alongside you, in it with you. And it doesn't sound as kind of cool as the others and exciting as some of the others, but it's really profound and it's really significant. In my situation, in my circumstances, in the life of my friend who's in pain, the Lord is there, Yahweh, Shammah. And the verse that came to me, I find it really, really comforting, is Deuteronomy thirty-three twenty-seven. Again, you probably won't think of that, what that verse is up front, but it's these words, the eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. The eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the, other lasting, are the everlasting arms. And if we're grounded in God, then we can be the people who are there, the people who are with others in their pain. And sometimes you can be in difficulty yourself and you can be there for others by the grace of God. I was thinking of uh, a man some of us know called John Presdy. And uh, I think he's, he's, he had a heart attack in his early 50s. I think he's got nine stents around his heart now. 
he's in his late 70s, but uh, God was with him. And even though he was suffering himself, he was on the ward, he was able to, even in his hospital bed, to speak to other men that had had heart attacks or were getting heart treatment. And they were scared and they were fearful, but he knew God. And even in his difficulty, he could be there for others. And that's a wonderful grace. Yep. Five. Only five. I hope you don't need any more. I hope you don't need any more. Okay, being there. Don't aspire to John. It's not a competition. Don't get nine unless you really, really need them. So next slide, being there. What were the names of Job's three friends? Eliphaz. Bildad, Elaine's offering Moni, Groni, and Accuser, but it's Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And then a younger man comes along later, if you know the book. What's he called? He's not called Sam Pete. He's called Elihu the Buzzite. So these are the guys around, and they start by getting it right. They start by getting it right. And we read those words earlier. They heard about Job's plight. We need to keep our ears open for others. If you don't see people, you know, where are they? What's going on in their lives? Have they got a need? Keep your ears open. They heard about Job's plight. They met together. And sometimes there's real wisdom in meeting together. Our friend is hurting. Our friend is in pain. What would be the best thing to do? They traveled together to see him. They made the effort. They made the journey. And that's really important. You might think, shall I, shan't I, shall I go? But making the effort counts for a huge amount. They wept together when they saw his plight. It touched their hearts. They're getting it all right so far. And then Job 2, verse 13. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. Wow. What a commitment of love and of being there. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. He didn't say a word. You don't need to say a word. Your presence is valuable. Your human speculation on why things have gone wrong might not be so helpful. Just to be there and to be quiet is really, really valuable. And then they opened their mouths, and they got it a bit wrong. Anyone opened their mouths and got it wrong and said things? I don't think I've quite done it in the situation of of pain like Job's, but I've been there and done it, like going to see some friends, and they were out, and they were just moved in to share a flat with another couple, and the wife was there, and I'd never met her before, and she's, I've got to make conversation with this woman till my friends come back, and she's in pregnancy dungarees that are bursting at the seams, and I've said it, I've said, when's it due? And I got the answer. He's six months old and asleep in the other room. And then a very frosty half an hour waiting for my friends to come back. Uh, I had a friend who told me she'd split up with her boyfriend. They'd been going out for a year and they'd split up. And I heard myself say, oh, surprise, surprise. I never thought it would work. And then I saw a tear in the corner of her eye and thought, ah, maybe I shouldn't have said that. And uh, one of our children came, uh, I'd, I'd met one of our kids, not Stevie, and uh, he told us about his new girlfriend, and he said something about her family, and I hadn't really been listening properly. And then later that week, she came round to meet us for the first time for dinner, and Sam was in the kitchen, whoops, and 
take that out. And uh, I was there with this girl. And I, I thought, yeah, he said something about our family. I said, have you got a brother? And the answer was her brother had died at the age of 24 uh, from a blood condition while he was in Africa. And she's got the same blood condition. That was great. I was so pleased I'd listened. So I've opened my mouth and said the wrong things. But fortunately, by the grace of God, I've been there in situations and not spoken at first. And that's really, really wise. And the family I'm thinking of, a couple called Alistair and Alison, used to live around here. A young couple, and uh, she got pregnant. And then they found out it was twins. And it was a bit of a shock, but also exciting. And then I went away and came back, and then Yvonne said, you need to go around and see them. They're in hospital. And for, for no reason that we ever knew, uh, she went into uh, labor at 20 weeks, and the twins were born dead. And I went to see the family, went to see them in the hospital at first. And then it was a bit of a Job-like situation. I went around to their home in Girton Road, and they were sat there, just staring into space, the curtains were closed, and I had to go around and spend time with them. So I went there and just sat on the floor and said nothing for quite some time. And that was right, what do you say in that kind of situation? And I didn't particularly want to go around there in one way, but again, it was a really privileged time to go and spend with them. So that's the first thing to do. Be there, but don't say anything. Because like me, in some situations, you might say the wrong thing. But what you can do, and it doesn't actually say it in the text, is you can be there and pray. And that's another way of getting it right. So being there can get it right. Saying nothing up front can be getting it right. And then praying. I don't mean praying out long prayers, but just praying inside your head. Lord, be here. Come by your Holy Spirit. Bring your comfort. Lord, if you want me to say anything, give me something to say. Lord, I don't know how to comfort them, but you be here. So saying nothing but saying a prayer in your head can be very, very important. And then maybe saying a brief prayer for them before you leave. What else and what not to say? Next slide. The three friends and then the younger man a bit later all speak and they speak from their theology, they speak from their experience, they speak from their understanding of God. And not everything they say is wrong. If you spend the time to read it through, it's not all wrong, it's not all bad. But they get it wrong as far as Job's concerned. The evidence is their friend Job is suffering. And so they work it out in their head. Well, someone's suffering, so they must be a dreadful sinner that's why they're suffering. And then the answer would be, say sorry to God, Job, for your dreadful sins, and maybe he'll forgive you and you'll stop suffering. Now, we're all sinners, but Job wasn't particularly evil. And he was doing everything he could to honor God and to care for others. So turning up and saying, you're a dreadful sinner, that's why you're suffering, is a kind of theological perspective it can be right in some circumstances, but it wasn't the right diagnosis for where Job was. And it just compounded his situation and made him feel worse. So don't just march in with your theology or your best thoughts. 
Don't just accuse people of being dreadful sinners. Don't come up with something out of your experience or what you think the Bible teaches. You need to be quiet. You need to be prayerful. And you need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And sometimes people can say just unhelpful kind of spiritual theological things. I remember way back for for us, um, Yvonne's sister's husband died when he was 32 from a brain tumor. And that was a very difficult time. It was a long time ago. And uh, then I met a woman, a lovely Christian woman at church. I met her after a prayer meeting. And she was kind of saying things that sounded a bit spiritual, but they weren't that helpful. Something about God taking the firstborn son and all this kind of, it kind of sounded spiritual. But no, you know, my brother-in-law's died from cancer. God wasn't taking him in some weird way. And the Bible actually says you should redeem your firstborn. God's not going to take them. So people can say interesting things theologically. And sometimes they can be right things but they're applied in the wrong way, in the wrong context. Job was under attack from the enemy. He wasn't some dreadful sinner that had brought this on himself. And it's important to know what to say and not to get it wrong. And then getting it right, if we want to get it right, let's pray. Let's not just come up with set answers. Let's not think, well, I experienced this, so this must be true for you. Or my theology says this, so I'm going to land you with it. Let's do what Jesus did. Now, Job's friends effectively cursed him. You've suffered all this. You're a dreadful sinner. But the Bible says here in John 6.63, Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. And even if we've got hard things to say, even if sometimes there are tough things that should be said, We want to be guided by God, prayerful, filled with the Holy Spirit, and speak words of life to people that are in pain. It's so important to do that. And words from Scripture, not just any old verse, but a word from Scripture given to you by God, illuminated by the Holy Spirit, can be just the right thing to say. And you can say a thousand words off the top of your head, But the right verses from the word of God in scripture by the Holy Spirit's power can really speak deeply and powerfully into people's lives and are just right in this difficult situation. Then finally, finishing well, in the final part of the book, the Lord speaks. And whether he comes through words given to you by God, whether he comes through the Bible, whether God speaks to the person in pain directly. It's so important to hear from God. And despite all his agonizing, despite all his questioning, Job had that sense that God was there for him. And we know this first, don't we? Job nineteen twenty five. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. I know that my Redeemer lives. And we want people to finish well in their situation of pain and coming out of their situation of pain, we want them to know that God lives. He's Yahweh Shammah, the God who is there. He exists. He's with them. He's going to carry them. He's going to speak to them. He's got a future and a hope for them. We want to minister those kind of words 
of life into people so they come out stronger. And it ended well for Job in one sense. It says at the end of the book, uh, the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former. It ended well for him. And he came out stronger. He wasn't going through this because he was a particularly dreadful sinner. He was attacked by Satan. But in the midst of all that, and despite his friends saying the wrong thing, he came out stronger. We want people, even if they've lost someone that's died or they've gone through a struggle themselves, we want to be there for people so they don't get crushed by the circumstances, but they come through it with your support and God's help, and they come out the other side stronger. I was thinking of one other person in closing, a guy called Trevor Penrose, a missionary. He died in his early to mid-50s from cancer. And he met God in that situation. One of the things I'll never forget him saying is he was facing the prospect of uh, the cancer spreading, and he said, I'm in a win-win situation. Okay, you're in a win-win situation. He said, if Jesus heals me, I'll be here for longer with my family and with my ministry. And if I die, I'll be together with him in glory. I'm in a win-win situation. I thought, wow, you really do. In hard times, in painful times, you've really met God. I want to be someone that, that turns up, doesn't shy away from those difficult times but turns up in them and is a useful presence of God to help them connect with God and find God and know that their Redeemer lives and know that they can come through and be stronger as a result of it. So let's not shy away. Let's be there for people. God's there for people. Jehovah, Yahweh, Shammah. God is there. Let's be there together with God and let's see people come through their pain and be stronger. Just going to pray briefly and hand back to Peter. And in the prayer time at the close of the service, I've asked Pat and someone else to come and offer prayer. And you may want prayer for being someone that can be there for someone you know is hurting. Or you may be hurting yourself and you need prayer. Then I'd like you at the close of the service uh, to go over and receive prayer just there under the cross. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. And Lord, we know there's a reality of pain and suffering. And like Job, we're not immune from it. We're not in a bubble protected from the problems and pains of this world. We can be attacked by the enemy. We can bring things on ourselves. But Lord, thank you that you're a good God. Thank you that you're a God who's there. Thank you you're there for us. Thank you you will speak to us. And Lord, we want to be a healing community. And we want to be there for one another. We don't want to shy away. We don't want to rock up and say the wrong thing and increase the pain. But we do want to be there for each other to minister life and blessing and the goodness of God. Lord, help us to do that by your spirit. Thank you, Lord. Amen.